Good morning. Everybody doing good? You have a great Thanksgiving? A lot of family, a lot of food? Good thing is the family leaves, but the food hangs around. So that's the way it works, huh? Mobile, Foley, it's good to have you guys with us this morning. And our family spread across Mobile and Baldwin County. We're so glad everybody's with us. Uh, I do want to remind you, last weekend we did uh, our Merry Christmas Gulf Coast. We did it early this year. And there still are seven, 800 bikes not pledged or accounted for. And those are all due by Christmas. But let me tell you what some of our children are doing so that, you know, they're, they're kind of showing you guys up a little bit. But uh, Kaylee and Nash Thomas, they wrote a book and they published it and they sold them. Uh, they sold enough of them to buy seven bicycles, these two little guys. So that, that's great. Uh, yeah. Sydney Gray constructed a lemonade stand and sold enough lemonade to buy seven bikes by herself. Yeah. Lexi McIntosh, she sold one foot sections of duct tape for a dollar each. Upon the completion of the sales, they used the duct tape to tape her to a fence, as you will see. She raised enough to buy 14 bicycles. So I'm just saying, guys, don't let the kids show you up, okay? we got about seven, 800 bikes. We want to go ahead and get those taken care of. And uh, the, the bikes are there. They're in their homes, and kids are going to get them on Christmas. So we're, we're thankful for that. It was a great weekend. If you have your Bibles or your device, you can turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to be in chapter 11 and chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 11 and 5. And I, I want to start a series uh, running up to Christmas called Risk. Now, we finished an eight-week series on grace, and I really feel like that what I'm going to talk about the next three weeks is very important after we gathered all of the revelation on grace. So to start this message, I want you to watch and listen to a story about a young man and what happened to him on his vacation. The earth is 71% water, meaning there is far more water than there is land to stand upon. And we don't need to venture very far from the shoreline before our toes can't touch, before we're floating, anchorless. My family and I recently took a trip to Hawaii, and as we walked into the condo that would be our house for the next week and a half, I was instantly drawn to the back sliding glass door. I walked through it onto a balcony that sat 40 feet above the water. I stood there as I watched the tide roll in and the beach disappear bit by bit as the waves crashed onto the rocks below. On the third night, my family and I were sitting out on the balcony, but off into the distance, I saw someone. I walked to the edge of the balcony and I looked over and I saw this woman bobbing up and down, up and down. Drowning doesn't look anything like it does in the movies. First comes the realization, I am drowning. The body goes into autopilot. Scientists call it the instinctive drowning response. And as you fight to keep your mouth above the waterline, that precious moment is dedicated only to gasping for the next breath. There had to have been two dozen plus people staring at the same thing I was looking at. But no one was moving. 
all of us realized that something wasn't right, even though we weren't for sure what we were looking at. But I knew that if we waited too long, it would be too late. So I started running. When you realize you're drowning, it's like trying to climb a wall, but you can't get a grip. Everything's slipping between your fingers. You can usually only struggle in this way for less than a minute before you'll slip onto the surface for good. You'll begin losing consciousness, and with that, you may experience a brief moment of tranquility before. Fully clothed, I jumped into the water, and I began to swim out to this woman. I grabbed her, kind of put her on my back, and began to swim into the shore. I'm almost screaming at her, are you okay? Are you okay? She gently just nods her head. And then I looked up to the cliff, and I saw all of those people. And they hadn't even moved. Most of the time, drowning looks unremarkable. People have been known to watch it happen and not realize what they're seeing. It can all look normal. Have you ever been one of those people on the cliff? One of the ones just standing there, not moving, not doing a thing? I know I have. Have you seen people in your life that might have needed help, but you couldn't be sure? And it seemed way too risky to say anything or do anything, so you didn't. People are drowning all around us. They're drowning in marriages. They're drowning in debt. They're drowning in addictions. They're struggling. They're drowning in doubt when it comes to their faith. My question is, why is it that so many of us just stand on the cliff and watch? Think of the people in your life, workplace, neighborhood, co-workers, family, friends. Many of them are drowning. They're struggling. They're needing to come up for air. They're, they're needing a taste of hope. They need something. So my question is, why won't we engage? Why won't we enter in? Why don't we roll up our sleeves and get involved? Why don't we move towards them? And I think the answer to that question is simple, and here's the answer. Our culture has an aversion to risk. See, we have the strongest disconnect from anything that will threaten our view of normal. Many of you grew up in small towns, small cities, considered to be safe, safe towns, safe cities, safe schools, clean streets, minimum crime. And of course, in those little towns and cities, you learn to avoid certain streets and you drive past them, never consider even driving down them or even notice the people or their needs on the street. And you know, in the deep south, we, we were trained what to see and what not to see. And subconsciously, we were taught, stay safe at all costs. During World War II, a term came forth from our military. The term is called calculated risk. And here's how it happened. The generals would begin to try and calculate the risk of a mission of sending in B-24 bombers. And they would sit around the table and they would decide, okay, we, we could lose three or or, no, I think we'll lose five. We could lose seven bombers, and they would calculate the numbers, and then they would decide if it's worth it to go on this mission at this time or not by how many B-24 bombers they would lose. But the phrase calculated risk has stayed with us. 
It's in our culture. It's in our business world. It's, it's how we hire into our businesses. It, it's even how we calculate the risk if we are going to attempt a new initiative. Universities today, they, they're teaching the whole ideal of risk management, and every business leader is expected to identify and manage potential dangers and threats to the organizations. And, and all that's a good thing, but what happens when our gospel becomes a gospel of risk management? What happens when our church, people, Christ followers find themselves calculating risk? What happens when the church becomes people that are averse to risk? Well, I think something painful happens to the essence of the story that God has planned. Here's how I see it. You, you, you remember the, the Winter Olympics this year. And you, most people like the figure skating and, and you all like to watch that. Can you imagine us, the church, are you individually being that person and you've trained and you're a figure skater and, and you made it to the Olympics and here you go, you're going to go out on the ice and all the world's watching you. And you're, you're going you're gonna to perform before judges and so you, 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 you skate out onto the ice and the, and the music begins and it's, it's from Frozen, Let It Go. <laughs> and you go stand in the center of the ice and you just make hand motions to let it go. There's no triple axles, no thrills, no, 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 no flips, no nothing. It's just let it go. At the end of that, the judges, you know, for 2.57 seconds, there you are standing. And the Swedish judge gives you a 0.0. The Italian judge gives you a 0.0. And the Brazilian judge gives you a 0.5 because he likes the song. But have you ever, have you ever thought about this is how we live our life, most believers? See, as a believer, we have this opportunity that we call life. One chance, one life, one shot to live and to showcase grace and mercy. But sometimes we get on center ice and we're frozen. And people are watching us and how we live and supposed to live. And we just stand there. Even think about the way we pray. Sometimes we pray like this. God, please keep me safe. Keep my family, family safe. No danger. No threats. Keep me comfortable. Some of you probably prayed this. Let me get married to a nice, safe person. Let me find a nice, safe neighborhood and buy a nice, safe house. And let me have 2.7 kids because that's kind of the average now. And, and, and let our kids go to the safest school possible and graduate and then go to the safest college possible. But they can't live in the dorm. They're going to have to commute seven, eight hours. But they have to live in my house so I can keep them safe. And then when they graduate, they can get a safe job, but they're going to have to live on the same street, the same neighborhood that I live on so I can keep my eyes on them and protect them and make sure they're okay. Oh, and I know the rest of the story. I know, I know one day I'm going to get old and I'm going to die, but God, don't let me just die some painful death. Let me die in my sleep. Let it just be easy and smooth. And then I'm going to show up in heaven. And I'm going to get to see Jesus and God. And, and I'm going to hear those precious words that the Bible says I can hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. But probably God's going to look at you and he's going to say, well done. You have lived the safest life possible. <laughs> this is what our culture is telling us. Our culture is telling us safety. Averse yourself from all forms of risk. Only risk if it's, there's a good calculated chance you'll find success. Don't step out, don't fail, don't risk, don't put yourself out there, don't be seen, don't be known. This is what we're being taught. And maybe that's an okay message for a corporate world, except for us as believers, it's nowhere in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you're going to see people were overwhelmed by grace and love. They were inspired by faith to risk it all. 
And that's what I want us to be as a church. You look at Paul, who used to be Saul in the New Testament. He's an incredible writer. And, and, and he's, he's saying things about how he was asked to live. And then he begins to write all the places God sent him. He starts writing about the stories of the things that God sent him. And, and one day, he's penning all the things, and it's amazing all the risks that he took. In 2 Corinthians 11, listen to what he said in verse 23. I have worked much harder, been put in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus once. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from the fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Listen, friends, wherever Paul went, threats came. Danger occurred. And I'm thinking, is the enemy doing things like this to Paul because, well, he's thinking, well, if, if he can get the 40 lashes minus one, one time Paul will throw in the towel. No, he, he got them five times. Or may, maybe the enemy's thinking, well, maybe if we stone him, because remember, he, he's there watching Stephen being stoned, maybe, that'll, may, maybe he'll give up on his faith then. No, he didn't. Or maybe if I leave him out on the open sea all by himself for days, he'll relinquish his faith. No, there's no stopping Paul, no stopping him. And, and, and he lived the most compelling life, so dangerous, but so true to be willing to live his life this way. Why in the world would he do this? What's different about him? Well, he tells us why he does it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. The reason why Paul could step out and risk over and over and over again was simply this, Christ's love. His love for Paul. See, Paul knew who he once was. He once was Saul. But as Saul, he was a murderer. He, he, he was a, a pride, egotistical maniac. He, he, was, he was driven by status. And, and, and he was someone trying to stop the Jesus movement. He was killing Christians. He was trying to stop the movement of God. And then Jesus gets a hold of him. And he says, hey, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming against me? I've got something for you. And over the next few years, Paul finds himself being overwhelmed by grace and the love of the Father. So much so that he, he sends out to all this, he goes to all the cities of ancient Near East and starts churches. And he said, Paul said, Christ's love has overwhelmed me. His love controls me. It compels me, urges me, catapults me to the unknown. Because I believe that one died for all, and therefore we all have died to our own agendas, our, our own desires, died to our own ego, died to our own identity and what we found it in. In verse 15, he says, and he died for all, that those who lives should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. So no, no longer are we going to look at people from a worldly point of view. No longer are we going to see people, we're, we're trying to label them and judge them and figure them out or manage them or manipulate them or get something from them. We, Paul says, I have a different perspective. of Remember, he's killing people. I, I've got a different perspective, a different lens about people now because of grace, because of compelling grace. 
you probably have read or you've heard of the author, uh, Henry Nowen. He, he, at one time he was a professor at Yale. And, and while teaching there, a former student came into town and, and went to the class. And after the class, he went up and said, hey, can you go to lunch? And he said, well, I did have a cancellation. So they go to lunch and they spend a couple hours together and talking. And this former student, at the end of that meeting, he looks at Dr. Nowen and he says, when I'm with you, I feel as if I'm in the presence of Christ. And listen to what Dr. Nowen replied. My son, it's the Christ in you that recognizes the Christ in me. See, we as Christ followers, we have entered into a broken but a beautiful world. We've entered into a fractured but sacred world. And we have the idea not to see people as the rest of the world sees people, but to see people through Christ's eyes, wanting not to label them or to draw out some image that we have of them. We want to see what God is going to do in that person's life. We want to know what th their life makes sense. We want to help them manage and, 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 and find their life in Christ, not manipulate. We, we don't want it, them to work for our agenda. We want to experience, we want to experience what, see, let them experience what God has for their life. So we no longer look at people from a worldly point of view. And then in verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So when, if, if you said yes to Christ and he's coming to your life, listen, something new has been birthed in you. It's here. And all of the old, all that would label you, identify you, all the past sins, all that is gone. It's washed away. There is something new. But watch, Paul does not say that the new is finished. In other words, it's like this. Every one of you are a piece of work. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a piece of work. Go ahead. Dare you. In other words, you're in process. We're in process. God's not finished. But the new that he's put in us, he's wanting us to understand that he's not finished. And grace and truth helps that. And I love this. Billy Graham's mother's tombstone. Here's what it says. Construction completed. Thanks for your patience. She spent her whole life. God shaping and molding and building her at the end of her life. She says, hey, uh, I'm, I'm finally done. Thanks for your patience. Every one of us, we are on a journey and God is teaching us something so that we can give away what he's teaching us. Paul goes on in verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now watch, here's what he's saying. The word reconciliation, here's what it means. It means that you have two opposing views. You have a view here and a view here, and somehow, when they're reconciled, somehow they come together and they become one. So here's how that fits us. Here we are, and we are born into this world in sin, and we are far from God, and God is here. But somehow only God could do this. Through Jesus Christ, he reconciles so that we can become one with him. And here's what being one with God means. It means I have access to him. I have access to the Father. I have access to talk to him. I have access. So he, Paul says, listen, ju just because you've been reconciled and brought to one and you have access, it's not done. And it's a beautiful thing that God's done. But actually what God is now doing, he's trusting you with a story. What's the story? The story is how you were here and opposed and not reconciled and how you came to the place to be reconciled. That's your story. And he gives you the story. And now guess what? Your role or your job or your responsibility or your ministry is reconciliation. 
Well, what do you mean? That you, you begin to help people who are far from God to, to know that they can be one with God. You begin to help people who are far from each other to know they can be one with each other. You begin to help people who are far from understanding their own brokenness to be one with themselves. The mission of God has always been reconciliation, which makes the job or the role of the church reconciliation. This is what we've been invited to do, to bear and bring out what the message of reconciliation is. We have access to the Father, and we're one with him. Then in verse 20, looks what he says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's what Paul's saying. Watch. He's saying, hey, you're, you're Christ's ambassador now. You, you, you represent Christ in your workplace, in your home, in your marriage, in your school, at Starbucks, at the, at the restaurant, in, in traffic. <laughs> you're, you're ambassadors to Christ, okay? You represent what God is all about by what you say and how you live your life. Did you hear me? You represent what God is all about by what you say and how you live your life. And you begin to, to be this message bearer that's telling people be reconciled to God be reckoned you can do it you may be out here right now but God can bring you can be reconciled you don't have to live your life far away from God you can be reconciled to God then Paul says in verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that we would be right living for God we, we, we would be the people that can showcase it, that we can live right with God that's what he's saying and then in chapter 6 verse 1 here's what he says as co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now, I've heard this taught on so many times, and I've heard it all my life. What does it mean to receive God's grace in vain? Well, let me tell you. We are all God's. If you're a believer, you're a co-worker of God. And if you've experienced that you're a new creation, you've been reconciled to God, you're one with God. But when we hold on to that grace and don't freely give that away, Paul says, you're an ambassador, you're a co-worker. But if you're taking the grace and not giving it away, you're taking it in vain. You have to give it away. In other words, when you don't help people move toward reconciliation, when you don't help people see they can have access to the Father and they can be forgiven, we take grace in vain when we calculate risk. We take grace in vain when we stay on the cliff. We take grace in vain when we don't engage with our friends who are drowning. We know they're drowning, but we won't engage. We're going to stay out. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to say anything. We're, not, we're just going to stay out. We take grace in vain when fear overwhelms our lives. Paul says, you know what has captured me? It was Christ's love. It's compelled me, and I'm not going to take God's uh, uh, grace in vain. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to show you what I believe the greatest risk takers have in common. I'm going to take the word risk, and I'm going to kind of do sort of maybe an acronym with it. We'll just, we'll just kind of walk through this and make it real simple, okay? So here, here's the greatest, the greatest risk takers. Here's what they have in common. R, reconcile people, reconcile people. People who have been reconciled to God, brought to one, have, have access to the Father, and they have been so captured by that love that they will do anything to get other people reconciled to God because they know how it changed their lives. They do this because they remember who took a risk on them. They remember who went out, you know, and, and out of their way, who catapulted into the unknown to strike up a conversation, to, to make that ask, to ask, to, to push in and invite you to church, to listen to a story, or even share your story, to bring them to church, to let them taste and see God's goodness. I, these risk takers are instinctively curious, 
Every person they meet, they're fascinated and they want to know their story. They, they don't just ask questions like, well, what do you do and where are you from? They move the, 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 and move to the next person. No, they're, they're wanting to know more. They want to know actually who you are and, and what you want for life and where you're going and how you're getting there. They want to see the person as God sees them. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. That was my dad. As a kid, I hated to go anywhere with my dad, the post office, the grocery store, because I knew he was going to get caught up in conversation with everybody. And the whole goal was he wanted to know that person. He wanted to know where they're going, what they're doing. It was just part of his life. He was so curious about people. And, and that's what risk takers are. They're curious. They want to know. They're kind. They're courteous. They're, they're, they're not abrasive. They're, they're, they're just asking. And listen, when you start asking people about them and their needs and this and this and this, it takes the defenses down. And people, most of the time, they're going to talk to you about that. S, these risk takers seem to be spirit-led story hackers. Listen, let me tell you how we're built. When you have an experience somehow you have to tell yourself a story to make sense of that experience because your brain has to categorize it well what, what does that experience really mean you have to take it and process it and, and here's what it will do basically it puts it into two categories either fear or love when you have an experience any kind of experience fear or love so depending on where it goes from there you either act out of fear or you act out of love uh, the risk takers that i know they're fascinated by encountering people who have a creative story built around fear they don't know it's built around fear but but it because it shapes the way they understand themselves it shapes the way they see god but when you begin to hack into the story and you're getting into someone's story and you start asking them the bigger question well is that what you really desire is that the way you want things to go in your family maybe you've had these types of moments before i have sitting over coffee or over lunch and you're listening to people share their story and then you see it and you see they're grounded in fear they don't know it they, they, they're not aware of it, but they're grounded in fear, the pain of the past, the regrets. And then here's what happens. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit just whispers something in your heart and gives you a question or a comment just to drop in. And for some reason, only God knows. I don't know how it works other than God makes it work. For some unapparent reason, it takes that person back. And in a moment, it's like they see themselves with a different perspective. And in a moment right there, they begin to open up their heart they begin to open up their mind and they start they're open to grace and love they're they're ready to receive something they're ready to hear something and many of you have had this experience you know a better way to say it is someone's going down the wrong road and you have this encounter with them and you tell them the rest of your life doesn't have to be down this road there's another road you can take this road and they're not even aware that it's possible for them because of their past to go down the other road that's what story hackers do that's what the greatest risk takers do. They're not okay with people living out the old patterns. They want to see people live out the new creation. They, they believe the new creation is here, and they want people, they want to invite people into the new creation. K, risk takers are kingdom ambassadors. They represent the kingdom of God. How, any way they can, wherever they can, they represent it with words, they represent it with their lives. Maybe you've had this idea. I've heard people say this. Maybe you have this idea that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about my faith. I'll just live my faith and hope people will see my faith and walk up to me and ask me about my faith and say, hey, where do you go to church? I'm not saying it can't happen, but it hardly ever happens. Nobody just watches your life and goes up and says, hey, can I go to church with you? No, there is there's something about this molding and relationship that happens to people 
who are willing to risk. How do you risk? Well, you start speaking and talking and speaking about your faith and speaking about your love and speaking about God, and then you're willing to live that out. That's what a kingdom ambassador does. It represents everything Jesus was for and everything Jesus is about. And see, some of you, you, you have a leaning to talk about your faith, or you love to talk about Christ, but maybe you have a problem living, that, living it out. The living part's a little harder for you. And some of you, you, you don't even want to talk about it. You, 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 want, you, you don't even want to risk that. You're just going to live it out and hope somebody walks up to you and says, hey, can I go to church? Because I've been noticing how you live it out, so I want to go to church with you. It, you know, that, that's an easy setup. Kingdom ambassadors actually live a life of risk because they do both. They live the life, but they speak about it. When they get an opportunity, not with finger-pointing condemnation, not with judgment, not, not with manipulation, but when they get an opportunity, they throw it in, they lay it out. Why? They're speaking about it because they are so compelled about it, and they want this person who's going down the wrong road, who's drowning, they want them to get on the right road, and this compelling to them, and, and it speaks to them. So great risk-takers, you know, they reconcile people, reconcile people, instinctively curious spirit-led story hackers, kingdom ambassadors. And so I want us to be this kind of church. I want us to be this kind of people. But let's go back to a question. Watch. Who took a risk on you? Yeah, who took a risk on you? Who's that person who took a risk? Who, maybe, maybe it's the first person to invite you to church. Maybe it's the first person to tell you about Christ. Maybe it was the first person that you saw Christ in. Maybe it was, the, you know, someone. Maybe it was your mother, your grandmother. Maybe it was some, who took a risk on you and would not give up and they got off the cliff? Well, here's what I want you to do, okay? At Foley, Mobile, Malbus. In the seat back in front of you, there's a card. I want you to pull it out, okay? You're going to see the white side first, but pull it out and turn it to the black side first where it says risk. So go ahead and pull it out. And, and I've got cameras at every campus. And, and so if you don't pull it out, we're going to put you on the screen. Okay? This is group participation. Okay? Come on. I'm looking at you. I'm, 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 come on. I want to see your card. You got a card? If you're on the front row, somebody hand them a card. You do not, you, you do not want to miss out on this. Okay? I promise you. Okay? Because you will not pass go. You'll go straight to jail. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, now watch. On this side of the card... The person that took a risk on you, write their name on it. There's a pen in the chair. Write their name on it. You don't have to write the whole name. Just write their first name. Maybe it was an uncle, an aunt, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a cousin. Maybe it was your grandmother, your, your grandfather. Who, who took a risk on you? Who came off the cliff and ran in and they would not give up and they would not, they, they just kept pursuing and, and they, they weren't judging and condemning, but they were loving and kind. And they actually pointed you and, and, and you, you saw the other road, you saw the other path, right? Write that person's name down. The better way to, to identify that person is you wouldn't be here without them. <laughs> you wouldn't be here without them. A lot of times that's a mother and a mother's prayer. Now, flip the card over to the other side. The white side. Who will you take a risk on? Who will you get off the cliff, roll up your sleeves? Who will you encounter, talk to, show love and grace, listen to? Don't talk about yourself. Don't talk about how much you know. I was going to say what you don't know, but you don't talk about what you don't know. You always talk about what you do know. But you're going to talk to them. You're going to encounter them. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be a relationship there. You're going to start molding. And, and who will you take a risk on? 
Who's drowning in your life right now? Who's drowning in your life? Who's drowning in your family? Who, who's, who's drowning in your neighborhood, your friends, your coworker? And, and I, know what you're, I know what's going on right now in your mindset. For many, you're saying, I, I, I don't want to write down a name. They may be sitting by me. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to write down a name. I want to stay safe and comfortable. But here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to see the risk that it's true in the New Testament. And it's true to being a follower of Christ. I'm asking you to take a risk on somebody. I'm asking you to make today the day where you say, I'll never stand on the cliff and watch someone drown. Oh, I know they're going through a rough time. I know financially they're struggling. I know their marriage is struggling. I know this. I know that. And I don't know. I just know a little bit, but I'm not going to let them drown. Make today the day where you declare that you will step into the unknown because you believe God is there. See, here's, here's, the, here's the part that we forget. We have to step into this place. We take a risk. We step into it, and God will show up, and God does the God stuff. And he's the one that will drop a little question in your heart to ask them or just a little word of encouragement to drop. And, and, you know, it doesn't take, quote the whole Bible, it doesn't take a big Bible verse. It just takes two or three little words or maybe a sentence that you speak that they needed to hear. And everything inside of them starts turning. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, my goodness, there is an, there is an opportunity. There is a change. I can receive grace. I didn't think I could receive grace because I did this and I done that and I this and this and this. But, you see, you have had eight weeks of, of revelation and teaching on grace and yes it is for you but it's not just for you it's for you to give away it's for you to share with other people it's for you to demonstrate in other words let's not buy into a culture of risk aversion let's not buy into calculated risk let's not buy into a gospel of risk management let's be risk takers let's be people who run out after those who are suffering and bobbling and drowning those who are in need let's live out the new testament listen it's it's one thing and, and we will always do this this is part of our dna to have servolution to serve people outside of the community with no strings attached just because we'll, we'll always have merry christmas guff coast and give things away and do for people for people for people but now it's time to go to a different level now it's time for us to take a little more risk See, we're a risk-taking church. We've always been a risk-taking church. But it's a little more, let's take it a little more in the spiritual vein. Let's, let's get the army. You're, you're the army of God. Let's get you taking risks with people that you know, and you know they need God, and you take that risk, and you, you, you live it out in front of them. Let's live out what God did through us, through his son. Do, do you know that God is a risk-taker? Do you know that God took a risk on sending his son? You know why he sent his son? Because if we receive his son, we're one of his sons and daughters. He took a risk. And on that day of crucifixion, a lot of people turned and said, that's not for me, and walked away. A lot of people stood by idly and, and just watched and observed. And, and, and you see, the invitation is that for us today as a church. What kind of church takes risk? Now, here's your risk. Did you write down a name? on the back side of this card on someone you would take a risk on? Did you? If you did, I want you to stand up. I know some of you are grabbing a pen and trying to write real fast right now because <laughs> you're going to be seated. If you wrote a name, I want you to stand up. You're going to take a risk on somebody. You're, you're, you, you are. D don't give up. Don't give up. 
See, they, they, they really don't need another pastor. They really don't need another sermon. They, they just need somebody to love and show grace and mercy to them. They just need somebody to take a risk. And I know most of the time when I take a risk on people, it's people like, okay, I, I don't really want to do this. You know, they're, they're stubborn. They're boneheads. They're, they won't, you know, they're not going to try rah, rah, all this stuff. That, that's, not my, that's not my department. <laughs> I'm, just take, I'm, I'm just show love and grace and mercy. And I'm, 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 I'm to open that up. And then I let God do the rest because we're all built the same. And until God's here, you're, you're, you don't have peace. So those of you that are standing, I want to speak something over you. I want to declare something over you. And I want you to know, church, over the next few weeks, I'm going to continue to equip and empower you. Oh, I, I know it's Christmas, and it should be Christmas sermons and, and all that, and, and, and there will be on that weekend. But, but, uh, but I want you to understand that I, I'm, I'm wanting you to use our Christmas services as a launch pad to invite people to come into this place to experience the presence of Jesus the love of Jesus. So you'll get cards. You can hand them out. This card is your card, and you pray over that name, and you believe, you invite them. But let's not miss out on the opportunity to step out and risk. So those of you who have written down a name, you're going to take a risk on, listen to me, to the church, the campuses. May the family of Bay Community Church recognize that reconcile people reconcile people. If you're a believer, you've been reconciled. May the family of Bay Community, may you leave the doors today instinctively curious about asking beautiful questions to engage people who are drowning. Not nosiness, not judgmentalism, just questions of concern and compassion. And may you hear the whisper of God to hack the story so that they can experience God's grace and love. And all of these things, may we become kingdom ambassadors, speaking boldly about the grace of God and what he's done in my life, and fearlessly living for the kingdom of God. May this week, as one church in many locations, may we risk May we step off the cliff. I'm going to pray for you. And you may be in this service at one of the campuses, Foley Mobile, and you may be drowning. You may be drowning. In a moment, a pastor is going to come and close the service and give you an opportunity to come. Let somebody pray with you. Don't, don't, don't stay in that state. I'm telling you, the grace and the mercy of God is beyond anything we can even think, believe, or imagine. Just beyond. It takes faith but it's real and it's powerful. Father, thank you so much for believing in us to take a risk on us and sending your son. And I pray that those who have written names on cards will take risk and show love and compassion to people. And if there's anyone drowning, listening to me, may they know and may they come to you and receive that rescue that you will so graciously give to their lives. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.